Welcome to this week's episode of BusinessWise. This is a podcast series for entrepreneurs interested in expanding through learning and applying the management system discovered and developed by humanitarian, philosopher, and administrator, Mr. L. Ron Hubbard. We are now on to our fifth episode in a series on the administrative scale of importances, or what Mr. Hubbard refers to as the admin scale for short, and its integral role in the subject of management. This is, of course, uh, as we've already covered, a scale of subjects listed in priority and sequence by L. Ron Hubbard, and are the vital subjects that must be aligned for any group, organization, or activity to operate smoothly and successfully. Now, let's do a quick review. The subjects are, from top to bottom, goals, purposes, policy, plans, programs, projects, orders, ideal scenes, stats, which is short for statistics, and finally, valuable final products. Now, you must know each of these subjects very, very well if you are a manager. Indeed, Mr. Hubbard has integrated them into the definition of management itself when he says, quote, the skill with which all these items in any activity are aligned and gotten into action is called, all capital letters, management. L. Ron Hubbard. So you see, when you, the listeners, have asked me to cover the admin scale, you're essentially asking me to cover management, aren't you? And um, I think many of the listeners thought that the admin scale was maybe something you spend a few hours writing onto a piece of paper and then fold it up and stick in a book somewhere or keep it in a drawer to be reviewed maybe once or twice a year. Uh, No, that's not quite it. A scale, any scale, is for use. Like, you know, if you're a carpenter, you're going to buy a tape measure so that you can build your cabinets or whatever you're building. And that tape measure is a scale. And you don't just stick it in your tool bag and don't use it. It's something that you use constantly whenever you're building something with uh, wood or plywood or what have you, right? So you need that tape measure. You need that scale. And you need the admin scale and what you're doing. Uh, Some of you are familiar with the emotional tone scale. We should probably do a whole episode on it, but you can kind of get the idea. You can take a copy of the tone scale and fold it up and put it in a drawer. You could do that too, couldn't you? But don't be too surprised if it doesn't protect you from a covertly hostile individual who acts as your best friend and then knifes you in the back or embezzles you or steals your girl. (laughs) The admin scale is something you're using every day if you are managing. So now the point is, if we are teaching the admin scale, you can see now that this is a pretty big subject. And so we're dedicating at least one or two episodes to every level or subject on that list. In fact, we've been covering the admin scale for almost three years, if you want to look at it that way. And so it pays to review some of the earlier episodes of BusinessWise when you start digging into this. Today, for instance, we're going to be tackling the subject of policy. And uh, this is likely to be at least two or probably even three episodes. And all these episodes will have new data for you. But I suggest you also review episode four of volume one, which is entitled An Expansion Formula, and episode 32 
of Volume 1, entitled More on Expansion. And those two episodes will give you more information on, on this subject, on policy, okay? So you don't have to break off now and listen to those, but after you're done, I do highly recommend that you listen to those episodes along with this and the next one or two episodes we do after this on the subject of policy. Okay. It's that big and it's that important. All right. So, but today we're going to cover policy versus counter policy, and we're going to cover it in detail. Now, as a heads up, this episode is very useful in identifying problems in your group organization, or what Mr. Hubbard calls aberration. We're going to define that in a second. Aberration in your group. But the solutions are going to have to wait for the next week's episode because it's just too much material. So I hope I don't leave you a little in the dark with this one, but at least after you've listened to it, you'll be able to identify the beast. And then next week, we will bring on the sunshine, okay? And we'll get into all the solutions. So let's make sure we understand our terms. Let's, of course, start with the word policy itself, which is commonly misunderstood and relegated to a dry and boring place when it is fully, listen to this, it is fully one-third of the life force of a group. I'm not kidding. Something I will explain later. But this is not a dry subject at all. It has everything to do with the amount of life in your group. So we're going to get into Mr. Hubbard's definition of the word policy. This is very, very comprehensive. It comes from uh, an article of the 25th of November, 1970. And he says, quote, policy as a word has many definitions in current dictionaries, amongst which only one is partially correct. Then he gives a definition. And this is not, this is from the dictionary. He says, a definite course or method of action to guide and determine future decisions. I want to repeat that. It's not bad. A definite course or method of action to guide and determine future decisions. Then Mr. Hubbard goes on to say, it is also, quote, prudence or wisdom, end quote, uh, quote, a course of action, end quote. These are from the dictionary. And a lot of other things, according to the dictionary. It even is said to be laid down at the top. Therefore, the word has so many other meanings that the language itself has become confused. Mr. Hubbard goes on to say this, yet regardless of dictionary fog, the word means an exact thing in the specialized field of management and organization. Policy means the principle evolved and issued by top management for a specific activity to guide planning and programming and authorize the issuance of projects by executives, which in turn permit the issuance and enforcement of orders that direct the activity of personnel in achieving production and viability. Finally, he says, policy is therefore a principle by which the conduct of affairs can be guided. L. Ron Hubbard. So now you see very clearly in this definition the alignment between policy and then the next steps down on the admin scale, which would, of course, be plans programs, projects, and orders to attain products. See, all these points are levels on the admin scale. Now, obviously, your policy has to align with the levels above it, with the purposes and the goals, but policy is your guiding principle or the guiding principles. How do you address a particular 
problem. We have a problem. Take a very, very simple example. You keep getting, you know, the deliveries of your materials for your business stolen because they're dropped off early in the morning. And so you set up, you say, well, that's a problem. We got to solve that problem. Let's have a guiding principle. Let's change our policy to the receptionist and the material handler arrive at seven in the morning and unlock the doors and get everything set up for production. That's a new policy. And that guides future actions. So now you might issue a program, you might issue a, pl a plan or an order. They would all align with that. Say, well, Joe, you know, you're the new materials handler, so you got to show up at seven o'clock. That's an order because that's that aligns with our policy. And you got to be there when this guy shows up and he drops off the lumber or he drops off the whatever, and you make sure it all gets safely stowed inside. That's your your job. And you might give him a little project that sort of gets him familiar with his job, but it all aligns with the policy. We open at seven o'clock in the morning. All right. That's a very simple example. You have a more complex example. You know, what about a refund? What do you do about a refund? Refund comes in, somebody wants their money back and everybody's in a tizzy. Like, what do we do this? Let's give it to the boss. You can figure it out. Uh, yeah. Bosses are always the ones. They seem to be what we call flaps crossroads when a policy could be established. Okay. When somebody wants a refund, they get referred to the head of Division 5, which is quality control. And they are uh, supposed to get to the bottom of it and find out what happened and see if there's anything they can do to salvage it or something along those lines. So that would be a policy. So now that protects the owner from getting all the bad news all the time. And now he's established a policy. And this policy might work and it might not work. If it doesn't work very well, then, of course, the policy needs to be adjusted. But you've got a guiding principle and now this is very important because this becomes what we call an agreement. All right. So now I'm going to give you the next definition uh, from Mr. Hubbard. And this is from a lecture uh, from 1970, the 4th of December. And he says, all policies actually derive in greater or lesser degree from group experience, which more or less adds up to group agreement. And policies which tend to stay along are actually formed with group agreement and are therefore not outside the perimeter of the group. So you kind of go, oh, Let, let's say we never issued that policy about uh, showing up at seven. Instead, we just try and do it with orders. Okay, make sure you're there at seven. Make sure you're there at seven. And the guy's got, you know, I'm so jacked that, you know, the boss is always picking on me to unlock the doors at seven and pick up these darn materials, you know, and uh, I have no agreement on this. So therefore I'm going to be late. Uh, oops, I was 15 minutes late. More materials were stolen. Whatever it is, there's a lack of agreement. It was never established as a policy. We're stringing this along with orders only. Do the same thing with the, uh, the upset customer who wants a refund. You know, it's kind of like, Jill, you handle this. That's an order, right? And Jill's like, why am I the one handling this? It's not my job. Or is it my job? See, the employees, the team, the organization won't have issues if the agreement is established. And the agreement is the policy. And the policy is the agreement. So if you're tracking with me so far, you realize now that we are talking about, when we're talking about policy, we're talking about the agreements of the group. This is how we do it. So, you know, Joe, the guy who opens up at seven o'clock, he's not a problem with that. That's the policy. 
you know, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I'm the guy who comes in early. I get to go home a little bit earlier. So, okay. You know, so I'm the seven o'clock guy, you know, and the, and the person in charge of division five, if it happens to be Jill, Jill's okay on it because she knows that's her job because that's a policy and everybody's agreed on it now. So there's no upsets. Upsets stem from disagreements, don't they? So the more agreements you can establish in a group, the less upsets you're going to have, the more understanding you're going to have, more on that in a second, right? And uh, the more productivity and people will be able to just deal with these issues without, you know, okay, we got another refund. That goes to Jill. You know, that goes to the head of Division 5. Nobody's getting upset about it. She's going to do X or Y or Z, depending on the policy, with that issue. And uh, that's how it goes. All right. So now, with that in mind, let's look at the next word, which is the word reality. So why, is, why is he defining reality? We all know what reality is. It's the table I'm sitting at. It's the chair I'm sitting on. Let's get into it a little bit more. In his book, Book of Basics 0 to 8, Mr. Harper defines it, reality, as the agreement upon perceptions and data in the physical universe. So yeah, you're sitting at a table, all right. What would happen if 12 people walked in the room and said, you're not sitting at a table. There's no table there. You're sitting at a bed. And 12 people have agreed that that's a bed. Maybe they even see a bed. You see a table. Like this is one of the things that would define an insane person. They're seeing things. Oh, maybe they're seeing things. Maybe they're not seeing things. You're seeing things. They're seeing things. They're just seeing different things. And because they're in the minority, they're the crazy one, right? But that is reality is something that we have agreed upon as real. And uh, it can be quite, uh, quite interesting to uh, examine other people's perception of the physical universe based on their own agreements they have perhaps a slightly different reality. You know, they see a party, you see a riot. You know, it's, this is different realities, different agreements, all right? Now, he goes on to say this uh, from his book, Problems of Work, which I keep recommending to the listeners as a great first book on the doesn't exactly go into the Hubbard Management System, but it's, you could say it's the basis of the Hubbard Management System, Problems of Work by L. Ron Hubbard. And he defines it here, agreement in the mental plane. So reality is agreement in the mental plane and solids in the physical plane. So now this is maybe a little easier for you to, to get a quick grip on. Agreement in the mental plane, that's reality. So we have reality that, you know, the Montreal Canadiens is the, you know, greatest team in the history of hockey or something like that. You know, probably most of my listeners don't agree with me on that. But so we have a different reality. Now, you'll notice that if I have a favorite sports team and you, a hockey team, and you have a different favorite hockey team, it influences your affinity, your desire to be in the same space, even to listen to me. You say, he likes the Habs? Oh, my God. I'm a Maple Leaf fan, or I'm a Boston Bruins fan, or I'm a whatever. You know, you've got your own team. That, to a certain extent, as much as you may be listening to business-wise, as much as you may have affinity for, you know, myself as a presenter, it's going to influence that. Doesn't it influence it? It does, doesn't it? A little bit, right? That's because there's two different realities, and those two different realities, that disagreement now affects the affinity, and it also affects the level of communication. I don't know if I want to listen to this anymore. You know, I mean, that's kind of drastic, but you get it. It's like, I didn't know he was a Canadian fan. Like, I ain't listening to this. 
you see the communication starts to get cut as well. So you've got affinity, reality, which is agreement in the mental plane, and communication. These are three points of a triangle that influence each other. This is what Mr. Hubbard calls the ARC triangle. And these three qualities are qualities that belong to life itself. They don't belong to a desk. A desk has no affinity for you. You can sit at it for hours. It's not going to warm up to you. It's not going to decide it likes you. It's not going to start communicating with you. It's not going to have any agreement with you. That's a desk. It's part of the physical universe. You are not part of the physical universe. You are a living being. And you have these three qualities, affinity, reality, and communication. And the higher the level of A, R, and C, the higher the level of life. So if you're looking at a group that has no policy, you could say it has no agreement, and thus you have less life. And this is why we say that policy is not a dry subject at all. It's one-third of the life force of your group. So if you don't establish policy, don't come crying to us if you've got a grumpy, upset, you know, disgruntled, unproductive group. It is your responsibility to build that ARC within that group, and you, and you must, 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 if you want high levels of communication, if you want high levels of affinity, you better start confronting the subject of policy. All right, so that's uh, reality. And uh, the final word I'm going to clear with you is the word aberration. Many of you are familiar with this word, but there's this beautiful definition. I'm just going to read it to you from Mr. Hubbard. And this is from, um, it's actually a definition note from Mr. Hubbard. He says, a departure from rational thought or behavior, from the Latin aberare, to wander from. Latin ab, away, errare, to wander. It means basically to err, to make mistakes, or more specifically, to have fixed ideas which are not true. The word is also used in its scientific sense. It means departure from a straight line. If a line should go from A to B, then if it is, quote, aberrated, end quote, it would go from A to some other point, 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 and finally arrive at B. Taken in its scientific sense, it would also mean a lack of straightness or to see crookedly, as, in example, a man sees a horse but thinks he sees an elephant. Aberrated conduct would be wrong conduct or conduct not supported by reason. Aberration is opposed to sanity, which would be its opposite, L. Ron Hubbard. So there you have a very inclusive definition of aberration. And we're going to tackle the article now. And the article is actually, this is the article where Mr. Hubbard introduces the admin scale. It's dated 6 December 1970, and it's entitled Third Dynamic De-Aberration. And he defines third dynamic in the first sentence, but essentially the third dynamic is the urge to survive with and of groups. So if you've got a tight team, you could say you have a strong third dynamic. First dynamic would be self. Second dynamic is family. So, you know, you see people are pretty fixated on the first dynamic these days. All they can think about is themselves. Uh, but third dynamic is a dynamic of groups. All right. So let's get into the article. So he starts out saying this. The exact mechanism of third dynamic and in parentheses he says group or organization, end of parentheses, the exact mechanism of third dynamic, group or organization, aberration, is a conflict of counter-policy. Illegal policy set at unauthorized levels jams the actions of a group and is responsible for the inactivity, non-production, 
or lack of team spirit. Counterpolicy, these are Mr. Edwards' words, counterpolicy independently set jams the group together but inhibits its operation. Okay, so let's take a look at some of this. So maybe you set a policy like, let's go back to our example on customer service. We have an upset customer. They want a refund. That gets routed to Jill over here in Division 5, which is quality control. Okay, or we could call it qualifications. All right, Jill actually hates that part of her job. She's also responsible for uh, training the employees and helping them become more qualified for their jobs. So that's her favorite part of the job. So she decides she's going to independently set policy. Okay, she's going to say, well, when one of these things come to me, I'm just going to ignore them until they go away or they blow up. Okay, so that's now Jill's policy. I'm not meaning pick on Jill. It could be John. It could be whomever. But we're just talking about that qualifications person goes, I'm going to set up a new policy. I'm going to route those back to the receptionist to handle and just say, just tell them I'm not in. And that's my new policy. And so that gets set up. Now that's going to jam that group. Everybody knows Jill's not handling that. There's now a kind of an agreement on that, that Jill's not going to handle that job. And only way we can do this is sort of bat it around until it either blows up, the boss cuts a check, or they go away. This is independently set policy. Now, that can be set up because you set a policy that is not understood or is not agreed upon, or you could never have set the policy in the first place. But any of these points will now breed a counter policy that is set at an unauthorized level, which will jam the group. And he goes on to say this. Out reality, now reality is agreement. So out reality would be a lack of reality or a lack of agreement. So he says out reality on org boards, org is short for organizing. So you have an organizing board is basically your structure of your organization. And if they're not agreed upon, if it's not real, then that's a bad structure, a useless structure. Then he goes on to say hats. Hats are the description of the functions or duties of a position or a post, as we call it. So he says, out reality on org boards, hats, etc., is to a large degree caused by disagreements and conflicts, which are caused by illegal policy. Now, don't, don't think these policies have to be written down. These are just agreements that are fomented. They, they are created within the group, and usually through a lack of leadership, through a lack of origination of policy, or a lack of insisting upon policy being uh, studied and understood, you will breed counter policy, guaranteed, Un unauthorized policy initiated at other echelons other than your own. Then he makes this point. He says, if we had a game going in which each player sets his own rules, there would be no game. There would only be argument and conflict. Look at if you're seeing argument and conflict within your group, recognize this is uh, an issue of policy lack of or counter policy being formed, right? Just know that instantaneously. And uh, you can start issuing policy. The policy might be good. It might be bad. It'll at least start forming agreement. And you can always tweak those policies and make them better. Obviously, the idea is that the policies align with the purposes and goals of the organization and further the goals and the purposes of the organization, right? So that's the whole idea. That's why it's on this scale right below purposes. It's very, very, they are very, very embracing. All right. So now Mr. Hubbard goes on and he gives you examples 
of uh, counter policy. So he says, at the start, it must be assumed or effected, in other words, created or brought into effect, that there is someone or somebody to set authorized policy for the group. I'll repeat that. At the start, it must be assumed or effected that there is someone or somebody. Now, a body could be a board of directors, couldn't it? So somebody is two words. It's not just, it, has to, it doesn't have to be an individual. It could be a board, right? At the start, it must be assumed or affected that there is someone or somebody to set authorized policy for the group. Absence of this function is an invitation to random policy and group conflict and disintegration. Want to know why your organization is falling apart? Take a look at how much policy is actually being in play here. Originated and put into, into effect. And this is Mr. Hubbard again. If such a person or body exists, new proposed policy must be referred to this position or body and issued, not set randomly at lower levels or by unauthorized persons. Boy, oh boy, you own that business. You and a board own that business. You better recognize you have this function. You're the clearinghouse for agreements. You're the clearinghouse for procedures. You're the clearinghouse for policy. And that policy has to be based on what works here. How do we handle materials not being stolen in this place? How do we handle disgruntled customers? How do we handle promotion that comes in or reaches that come in from our marketing? That's a good one. Oh, well, you know, we have a reach. What do we do with it? I don't know. Put it in a drawer. I don't know. Give it to the boss. I don't know. What do we do with it? Somebody says they're interested. What do I do now? Oh, we have a salesperson. You know, do we throw it right over to the salesperson right away? Or does it go to an assistant salesperson? Is there supposed to be an assistant salesperson? This person is brand new. It's a brand new reach. And here's a reach from Mrs. Smith, who's been using us for 30 years. Do they go to the same person? These are things that need to be worked out to make the organization function correctly. And they need to be issued, authorized by whatever body that is, usually the owner or board of directors, authorizes those as these are our new agreements. These are our policies. This is how we deal with situation X. So he goes on to say, policy so set by the policy authority must be informed enough and wise enough to forward the group purpose and to obtain agreement. Ignorant or bad policy, even when authorized, tends to persuade group members to set their own random policy. I don't advise setting stupid policies. If you as the owner establish unwise policies, policies that are not tested in the group, you're not, you're not familiar with the group, maybe you're managing it from afar and you're in some ivory tower and you kind of go, why well, everybody ought to do blah, you know, for two and a half hours a day or everybody should be, you know, um, doing, you know, two hours of cleaning or they should all do, you know, every day or something like that. This is unreal. Because are you kidding me? Uh, look, I could agree to 15 minutes of clean. You want me to clean for two hours? Like, that's not real. I'm not going to get my job done. But these kinds of orders do come in, you know. Everybody has to handle calling the customers to come in. Now, that's a good one. You know, like, oh, my goodness, look at the income. It's going down. Let's issue an order. A uh, new policy. Uh, 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 everybody, uh, you know, two hours a day. Uh, Got to be working on sales. Uh, uh, uh. Like, huh? Everybody's like, what? Like, that's not my job. And you get disagreement. And this is an unwise policy. And so people are going to set up their own policy. I got a great idea. I'll do that for 15 minutes. And then I'm going to, you know, slack off 
for an hour and 45 minutes because I'm so dis- I'm so much in disagreement with that or I'm going to do busy work or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. People are setting up their own random policy because the policy that is supposed to be sensible and wise and furthering the purposes of the organization and the goals of the organization actually don't. They're unreal and they don't get agreement. And so there, again, you have this invitation. Let's set up our own counter policy or our own policy, which ends up being counter policy. Okay. Uh, it goes on to say, when no policy at all exists, random policy occurs. You can put that in a frame somewhere. Uh, when policy exists but is not made known, random policy setting will occur. See, that's the other thing. You can you can create policy, okay, but if you don't make sure you – and this is a, a bone of contention between my office and my members. I keep insisting, train your employees. Make sure they understand your policies. Like, don't come crying to me like – Oh, I can never get away. You know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in my business and I don't know what to do. And I'd, l- I'd like to do more of this and I'd like to do more of that, but I can't because, you know, I'm, I'm handling everything and everything falls apart when I'm gone. Well, let me make it very simple for you. You've not established either adequate policy or you're not making sure the policy is studied, known, and applied. If you can set that up, you can set it up so people practically kick you out of the company. I'm not even joking about that. I've seen it where, you know, the organization has run so well, it's kind of like, eh, it's better when the boss isn't here, you know, <laughs> go, um, you know, go practice your golf game. You know, we've got this. All right. Ignorance of policy, the need or function of it can cause random policies. So he's sort of listing these out for you. Hidden, not stated, random policies can conflict. Remember, some of these, a lot of these random policies are never issued in any kind of, they're not written anywhere. They are agreements within the group, you know, and so they're hidden. We uh, don't get enough breaks around here. We work bloody hard. So three o'clock is break time. You never issued it. No one's ever issued it. It's just kind of everybody at three o'clock sort of goes out for a cigarette, smoking a cup of coffee. And maybe you should institute a policy for breaks, you know, but you might be surprised that. Uh, people aren't responding, you know, answering the phone, uh, this and that. Why? Because there is random policies being set. Then he goes on to say this, correct policy can be relayed on a cutative basis, a few words left off, or a qualifying sentence dropped, which makes the policy incorrect or null. Then he gives an example. Children may not go out can be made out of children may not go out after midnight. By the way, you can have these policies in a family, and you should. You can have these policies for yourself. Altered policy can be limitless in error. So that you can just count on. You know, you, you write policy, you issue it, people are studying it, but they still alter it. And that can be limitless. And you always have to be on the alert for that and correct that. Uh, goes on to say, attributing a self-set policy to the authorized source can disgrace all policy as well as pervert the leadership purpose. That's all you need. You need some self-aggrandized manager who says, yeah, the boss says we need to do it this way, and it's actually kind of stupid. And now the, the goal maker, if you've been listening to earlier episodes, the owner, the founder, is made to look uh, dumb because they're attributing this policy to the, the correct source, but it actually was self-set by a lower echelon management usually. Okay? Like the you know executives, the middle executives who are trying to run the group, and they – might get a self-importance or they think they can solve a problem by issuing some random policy and then they attribute it to the source and that disgraces you. Okay. 
policy can be excluded from a zone of a group that should be governed by it. And then he gives an example. Pipe making policy does not apply to the small pipe shop. I run into that all the time. You know, like Hubbard wrote hundreds of policies, all very valid for any size group. And then I run across a member who says, oh, that doesn't really apply because we're too small or we're too big or we're too this or we're too that. No, that can be a really big mistake. Okay. Such masses of unnecessary policy can be issued that it cannot be assimilated. Here's your other error. You send out so much policy and some of it is kind of not really needed and it's unnecessary. And so therefore, everybody's like ignores all policy. It's like, oh, here we go. Another policy from the boss, you know, on cigarette smoking or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, we're done with that. Let's ignore all policy. Uh, Another thing he says here, policy can exist in large amounts, but not be subdivided into relevant subjects as is done in hat check sheets. A check sheet is a a step-by-step to study a course, um, some body of knowledge, like a hat, like the description of somebody's job and their functions and their duties, okay? So if you issue policy, it's a good idea to categorize it. One of the problems we're having with uh, business-wise is really we should categorize these, um, well, there's 170-some episodes now, and they probably could be categorized better. Um, I just haven't been able to get around to it, but um, should be categorized so you can go, okay, I want to know more about policy, for instance, I go to these episodes. I want to know more about goals, I go to these episodes. I want to know more about this, go to you know sales or something. That's a liability or I would say a weakness of business-wise, but anyway, we'll probably get around to fixing that at some point. So policy can exist in large amounts but not be subdivided into relevant subjects as is done in hat check sheets. Disgrace of policy can occur in a subsequent catastrophe and render any policy disgraceful, encouraging self-set policy by each group member. Yeah, look, something, you know, COVID is a great example. What a disaster, you know, and all the policies that we created weren't able to handle that, weren't able to deal with that. Who was expecting that? You know, we're going to, you know, shut down all businesses and this and that. So now, uh, because policy didn't get us through that catastrophe, who gives a hoot about policy now, right? It's all catch as catch can, every man for himself, and it's a joke. And it can take quite a bit of work to reconstruct your organization after a catastrophe because uh, all policy has been disgraced and everybody's self-setting their own, their own policy. All right? So those are the points. These are varieties of counter-policy. Uh, the next episode of Business Wise is going to go into how you clear the group of uh, aberrated counter-policy so that you have a smooth-running operation. Uh, we don't have time to go into that today. In fact, we've, we've probably gone over our limit. But, I'm, you know, I warned you when you guys were asking, uh, you know, asking us, please do the admin scale. This is not a subject that is brushed off in a short episode or two. It's, uh, it's really the essence of management itself. And I hope you are kind of uh, getting all that and it's helping you uh, bring about a better, smoother running organization, a less aberrated organization, a more productive one, a more prosperous one, because that's the whole idea. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, look forward to addressing you next week. Uh, if you have some comments, please leave them especially if they're nice ones. Uh, You can also write us at info at yc2s.org. We do appreciate it when you give us a like. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening.